Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. You know, I listen to Bickley and Murata. Terrific show, by the way. I really enjoy it. Bickley and Murata mornings from 6 to 10. Bickley and Murata. It's the greatest show on earth. Bickley and Murata. Good morning and welcome. Dan Bickley. Sports, man. Sports. Vince Murata. It's a power-packed morning zoo. Are you kidding me? Bickley and Murata. Bigly and Murata. I love this show. This is the greatest show in the history of radio. It's the greatest radio show ever. Bigly and Murata. I hate everything about this show. This is the worst show in the world. Ah, yes, the happiest of happy Fridays to everybody in the Valley. Good morning, Valley sports fans. How is everybody doing today? Shut up, Jarrett! Let's get that out of the way. We've first, got Sarah, first and foremost. Yeah, we've got Sarah Cazell broadcasting live from Tucson. I hear Tucson's lovely at 6.02 in the morning. It couldn't be better. Couldn't be couldn't better. Be better. Yeah. Well, I nice heard Tucson's yeah. never lovely. Perfect. <laughs> of course I'm you joking. did. I don't you love construction Tucson. and traffic. Yeah, right? How about that? Yeah, sounds, I don't understand it. Yeah. What, so, don't, yeah. what don't you understand, Sarah? Spend some time outdoors. I don't understand uh, the constant hate on Tucson, particularly from Vince. He's a sun devil. Yeah, it's not that hard to understand, Yeah, but that Sarah. doesn't have anything to do with the city. That's no, there's no, it, it doesn't. There's it nice doesn't. parts of the I, city. I've, I've got, seen nice parts of yeah, Tucson, but they're few and far between. I've got, I've really, got, I've got mixed feelings on the actual city of Tucson. Uh, to me, uh, a city is ruined if you can't navigate it. I'm starting to feel that way about downtown Phoenix. As much as, as much as I love Oof. what they've done to downtown Phoenix, Ugh. trying to travel too many to one way streets the, and the light rail. God bless good intentions, but that has just kind of disrupted everything. Talk about constant construction. Oh, Goodness man. gracious. And, yeah, yeah. And listen, I go see my kids in Tempe. <laughs> Tempe's been under con- Tempe has been under construction for ten years. It feels like, right? So really? Tucson yes. to me has always been kind of a mixed deal. There's like areas where you're like, oh man, this is gorgeous. Some of the resorts up in the foothills. Yeah, absolutely. Some great restaurants there. Sarah, just so you know, uh, the Tucson hate is just part of my brand. He's part of his brand. Okay, well, it's a great brand. It's, it's really working for yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I've been on the I've been on the air for twenty seven years in this town. I think something's working. Uh oh, Vince, you, Vince, come down. You, have some really good Mexican food. Go you, on a hike. It'll be great. I won't hike in any city. Go That's not a Tucson, Tucson thing. Have some muchacha, Vince. <laughs> oh, there wait, we go. Muchaca. That's what I meant. Sorry. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> a right. couple of big throwbacks with tempeh and muchacha. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> that was from my days in Mexico City. All right, Carlin. Start the show, Ferret. Start, Start the, the show, show, Ferret. The Splash. Splash. The stories making waves in the sports world. The Splash. Splash. The Splash, brought to you by Presidential Pools, Arizona's number one pool builder. See why at presidentialpools.com. Today they made something, I think it was called Machacha. Coaching search continues for the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, The team will reportedly meet with uh, San Francisco 49ers defensive coordinator D'Amico Ryans in the coming days. Ryans is a busy man. 
not only getting the Niners ready for their playoff game against the Cowboys on Sunday, but also interviewing for head coaching positions in Denver yesterday. In Houston today, Ryans is also meeting with the Indianapolis Colts in the coming days. According to Tom Pelissero of NFL Network, the Cardinals are interviewing Denver Broncos defensive coordinator, coordinator Ijero Ivero for their uh, head coaching position today. The 42-year-old Ivero just completed his first season as an NFL coordinator on Nathaniel Hackett's staff in Denver after spending five years under Sean McVay with the Los Angeles Rams. Starting to get that feel, Bick, like things are percolating, things are happening. Still none of the coaching uh, openings have been filled. Could the Cardinals be first? Might we have a new coach in place by Monday morning? I don't know because from my from my viewpoint, uh, I don't know how real their interest in Brian Flores is, even though he is the odds-on favorite. And I don't think any other team with a vacancy is interested that is in true. Brian Flores. That is true. So I, I don't know what the timetable and what, what the competition means to them. Because th- they might be in a market for a guy that nobody else is in on. I don't know. Or might be biting time if they really want one of these coordinators that's still in the playoffs, like D'Amico Ryans. Again, no experience, no bueno. Yeah. Tampa Bay Buccaneers did fire offensive coordinator Byron Leftwich after all the Bucks made the playoffs struggle to run the ball in 2022, averaging a league-low 76.9 yards on the ground and just 18.4 points per game. But Leftwich not the only one gone. Eight coaches off the Buccaneers staff following yesterday, which I guess makes some level of sense because of what happened last offseason with the uncertainty with Bruce Arians. Hey, I'm the coach. I'm not the coach. Hey, I'm the coach. I'm not the coach. Todd Bowles, you're the coach. Uh, you know, Todd Bowles is retaining that job, so he'll get an opportunity now to fill that staff with some of his own yeah. people. Yeah, hey, listen, top, as much as I love Bruce Arians, and I, I'm not sure anybody loves him more, but his staffs, top to bottom, historically, were always kind of a little... Sus, if you will, maybe uh, maybe this is this is clearly Todd Bowles' last chance. You carve out a bunch of replace the guys under you who you think mm-hmm. are the issues, and, but now there's now now it all stops with them. Now show us yeah, exactly. Right. Sean Payton's head coaching interview with the Carolina Panthers has been postponed due to the death of Charlotte FC soccer player Anton Walks, who was killed in a boating accident in Florida. The Charlotte FC soccer team there to begin training for their uh, for their season, uh, from what I understand, but was tragically killed in a boating accident, so that's been put on hold. I'm not trying to be macabre about this, but when the story flashed, I, I thought, wow, what in the heck happened? Was Did a boat capsize? What? There was, there's very, very little detail mm-hmm. as to how the soccer player died, other than boats collided near mainland Florida, and he needed CPR, and it failed, and there's a whole lot of detail in that story that nobody knows. Yeah. How two boats colliding led to that. Yeah, strange story, but it's having ramifications in other sports yeah. now, too, as you see. Uh, divisional weekend is here in the NFL. Saturday schedule pits the Jacksonville Jaguars, powered by uh, Waffle House, by the way, taking uh, on Kansas City Chiefs at Arrowhead Stadium at 2.30. As of Thursday, the Chiefs are an eight-and-a-half-point favorite. The night game is the NFC matchup between the Giants and Philadelphia Eagles. 
Philly, a seven and a half point favorite. And then Sunday, uh, the marquee matchups, at least as I see them, the Cincinnati Bengals visit the Buffalo Bills in a matchup of the teams that had their Monday night football game canceled in week 17 due to Buffalo safety DeMar Hamlin's injury. Uh, that game kicks off at one o'clock. That will be followed by Cowboys, 49ers in Santa Clara at 430. Good uh, you, weekend. You of told football. me you were favored in the first two games. What about the last two? I didn't look those up. Oh, you did? Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm guessing it's the home teams. Um, I can get that for no, you. No, you don't. I, I was just curious. I, I thought if you had it for the first couple, you were going to have it for all. I was, no, my I, bad. I was my putting bad. that together and writing it up, and then I got distracted. Yeah, no, my bad. No, it's, let's move on. <laughs> Clearly. Not important. Not important. Uh, with new prospective owner Matt Ishbia sitting courtside, the Phoenix Suns jumped on the Brooklyn Nets early, built a lead that was as big as 24 points, and hung on for dear life in a 117-112 win at Footprint Center. Suns led by 20 points heading into the fourth quarter, but Ky- Kyrie Irving awoke from a three-quarter nap and uh, scored 21 of his 30 points in the fourth, leading Brooklyn back. Suns led by two points with 7.4 seconds left. Mikel Bridges made his first free throw, missed the second. That was rebounded by Nick Claxton, but Ish Wainwright wisely fouled Claxton, immediately putting a 46% foul shooter on the line. He missed the first, then committed a violation in trying to miss the second. Cam Johnson nailed two free throws, and the Suns get their first home victory in exactly a month. Yeah. Brooklyn loses its fourth straight. Suns continue their homestand tomorrow with the Indiana Pacers in town for their annual visit. Also a tribute to the 92-93 Suns, the 30th anniversary of that team. So cool night tomorrow night. Yeah, much, much needed win last night for the Suns. That's obvious. Very interesting the way it played out among the fan base. So many people want to believe that everything is back to being just fine based on last night's game that I could tell. But again, that's just kind of that's just kind of indicative of the Suns fans fan base and how disorienting this season has been. It's a, yeah, people they're... are grasping for hope that everything is going to get back to normal. Yeah, it's um, last night to me, and we'll get into this a lot more as the show goes on, but uh, it, w- it was a temporary re- reprieve. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like I said, it was exactly what the ba- the basketball team needed. Yep. Cam Johnson to return, to play well, to bring fresh energy, and to bring hope that things are going to get a lot better soon. Yeah, fifth-ranked UCLA closed the game on a 16-2 run over the oh, final 532. Man. They win their 14th straight 74-62 over Arizona State at a raucous desert financial arena in Tempe. ASU led by two with a little more than six minutes left after a Frankie Collins three-pointer. Uh, UCLA rallied. Warren Washington's bucket cut UCLA's lead to three with 3.36 to go, but the Devils wouldn't score again. Tiger Campbell had 22 for the Bruins. Desmond Camber Jr. had uh, 15 in the loss for ASU. They fall to 15-4. and four. They'll host USC on Saturday. The Trojans, meanwhile, they got ran out of the gym in uh, Tucson by Arizona. Uh, 81-66 Wildcats win 15.17 boards for Azulis Tabellis. Courtney Ramey led the Cats with 16. They will take on fifth-ranked UCLA. CLA tomorrow at noon national televised game in Tucson. Former Coyotes had their way with their former team last night. Dylan Strom scored two goals. Darcy Kemper, 26 saves for his league-leading fifth shutout. Capitals beat the Yotes 4-0 at Mullet Arena. Yotes on the road for a quick one-off tomorrow night in Dallas against the Stars. 6 o'clock face-off. Pre-game coverage starts at 5.30 on the Arizona Sports app and KTAR News 92.3. And uh, Justin Thomas and Will Zalatoris Torres, two of the latest commitments nice. for this year's WM Phoenix Open at TPC in Scottsdale. Thomas making his ninth appearance in the tournament has two third place finishes on, to his credit. Zala Torres playing for the second straight year in Scottsdale. He finished 17th in last year's event. There is your splash for Friday, January 20th. Coming up, 
All the latest on the continuing coaching search for the Arizona Cardinals. It's Bickley and Murata Mornings. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Football Friday with Bickley and Murata. Presented by 72 Sold. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. I'm just hoping he, he gets another shot because he deserves another shot. He's a, he's a, like I said, a hell of a leader of men, a hell of a leader of black men, but also just a hell of a leader in general. Um, so I, I feel like, you know, if he gets another opportunity, you know, he'll learn from his mistakes. And, you know, most people do. Um, you know, being under Mike Tomlin now, I'm sure that helps a lot, too. Uh, so I think the fact that, you know, if he gets another shot in the league, he's going to be uh, hella successful, and I hate to run up against him. That is O.J. McDuffie, former Miami Dolphin, now a broadcaster, podcaster, covers the Dolphins. He joined us yesterday here on Bickley and Murata Mornings talking about Brian Flores, a name mm. that is on the candidate list for the Arizona Cardinals as their coaching search for their uh, new head coach continues. Flores on the list, not on anybody else's list right now. Um, and... O.J. McDuffie had nothing but glowing things to say. Oh, yeah. About. Now, that uh, is uh, not, not to interrupt you, but that's not a unanimous opinion no, in Miami, by the way. It is not. Um, you look at the record from afar, and the record the last two years for Brian Flores, he had two winning seasons, uh, nine and seven, and then went 10 and six. Mm-hmm. Then there was the weirdness with Stephen Ross about, you know, they approached me to tank. There's the NFL lawsuit. Then there's the whole issue about relationship with quarterback when he was the head coach. Mm-hmm. And he and Tua Tungavailoa did not see eye to eye. Another one of the reasons why Brian Flores is not there anymore. You saw what Tua Tungavailoa was able to do early without this him. season without him, with mm-hmm. um, maybe a, a better fit at head coach with Mike McDaniels. Um, it's because interesting. at the time, people believe Brian Flores did not believe in Tua. Yes, yeah. It is interesting because, like I said, prior to uh, Brian Flores um, kind of showing up on the Cardinals' radar, he was basically being possibly considered for a defensive coordinator's job. So it, it kind of feels to me like, once again, the Cardinals are fishing in a very small pool, almost like when they hired Cliff Kingsbury, who was hired at the time to be an offensive coordinator at USC. Now, suddenly, uh, a guy who the market place had kind of said, this is where this guy belongs, the Cardinals came in and said, no, we're going to give him an even bigger job. The Brian Flores thing is different because he's had success. The way people look at those last two years in Miami, after doing some research on the guy, there's uh, it, it, it's, it's, it's varied. It's not unanimous that he came in there and did a great job. And that, to me, is what makes this very interesting. I do think that in reading about, and it's not just Tua Tungavailoa, who got shipped out of there on Brian Flores' watch. He had other relational issues with players. Uh-huh. But the thinking is that might be exactly what the Cardinals need. A head coach who is not afraid to call out the deadwood and the driftwood in his locker room and get it out of here. So you can look at it any number of ways. You can look at Brian Flores and say, dude, it might be perfectly suited for this time and this moment and this place and this opportunity, but I don't see anybody else in the NFL knocking on his door right now. No. Which is interesting. There's interest in him as a defensive coordinator because he was more of a position coach. Yes, Uh, Cleveland was in on him before they hired Schwartz as their new defensive coordinator. I wonder, Bick, with not only Flores, 
But also, Ejero Ivero, who's reportedly interviewing for the head coaching position today, the Cardinals are going to need a defensive coordinator, too. I mean, can you bring in a guy like Ivero? Can you bring in a guy like Flores for a head coaching interview and then maybe go down that road for a coordinator position? Yeah. Or do the candidates then feel that as a slight? Like, I was interviewing for a head coaching position. I'm not going to, especially in Ivero's case, because he holds that position. Mm-hmm. Although, Denver's bringing in a whole new coaching staff, too, uh, especially if if they're waiting on Sean Payton. Now, if here's the other thing, and Josh Weinfuss brought this up on a po- podcast or a radio appearance yesterday. He covers the Cardinals for ESPN.com. He, he reported or said that he's heard or observed... Or, or knows that Vance Joseph thinks he's the front runner for the job. And I, I told you a few days ago, I had heard the same thing, that Vance was very confident about his chances to be the next guy, which is why this hire to me takes on added levels of symbolism. Because if Michael Bidwell has already decided to reward and anoint Vance Joseph, he did that before hiring Monty Ford. And then that would mean Monty Ford took the job and said, okay, I'm cool with Vance Joseph, which would tell you right away then we don't have enough change in the Valley. I agree. Um, and we've been consistent in that thinking throughout this process. When it became clear, and that was the day after the season, the changes were coming. Cliff Kingsbury shown the door. Steve Keim as general manager stepping away and leaving the organization. We've both been beating the drum for real change because this was a mess. There was no two ways about it. Um, and, you know, are you prolonging or delaying the inevitable if you do that? You've got your general manager in place. Monty Austin Ford is involved in these head coaching uh, interviews. You brought up the point, hey, maybe he came to town with a list of candidates he wanted to talk to that he had in his back pocket knowing this process was going to happen. But how are you – is that the the best – way to empower your general manager when you first hire him? No. Hey, here's the no. job. By the way, we've already got our head coach. No. And oh, by the way, it was the defensive coordinator of a team that no. just won four games. No. Th- th- then you're hiring a guy not strong enough to do the job properly. You're, you're hiring a guy that is l- feeling lucky to be there and grabbing the job regardless of the conditions. And, and, and we know what that looks like. That's the Robert Sarver business model. That's exactly what it is. And, and that would be an organization again that is afraid to see control to outsiders in an organization where the owner wants to run the show and and I think that is what that is what everybody and at least at least symbolically in terms of optics that is how it's being perceived whether or not it's true or not I, I think is almost irrelevant at this point because if there's a credibility crisis with this football team among its fan base and we know it exists then you're not going to solve it that way if the end result here is Monty Austin Ford a GM from the outside but a guy who's never done the job by himself and a, and a virtual unknown to most people and Vance Joseph I, I don't think that's enough to suit the moment I don't think so either. Um, and it, with all due respect to Vance Joseph, and again, I, I think he's got. I think he's got a lot. Vance Joseph has got a lot better communication skills and a lot better leadership skills than Cliff Kingsbury. But does he hold players accountable? I, I, I don't know about that. I, I, I do know he's had some experience as head coach before. It didn't go well. Yeah, it didn't go well the first time. Um, and normally when you see that path, okay, a guy gets anointed a head coach, doesn't work out, resurfaces as a coordinator, 
normally, you know, four years down the road, you've got to be a you know a really outstanding coordinator to get another chance that quickly. And look at the, I mean, we've been talking about it all season long with the Cardinals defense. The numbers are horrible. Uh, it, it, statistically, one of the worst defenses in the league. Lots of challenges built in with, you know, the lack of player acquisition on that side of the ball, and obviously the offense didn't hold. You know, it, it compared to the offense, it it somewhat overachieved. It mm-hmm. it would be just. And I like Vance Joseph, and I agree with you. He does show a lot of traits of a good head coach. He's open, he's honest, he answers questions, he deals well with the media, seems to have good leadership skills, but it would still equate to an underwhelming head coaching hire to me. There's an argument that you might not even want him back as defensive coordinator. See, I don't buy but, that, but 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 you can't. Well, just because of the, but you the can't, statistics, but you can't and stuff. do that now. You you can't. Again, the the uh, the situations matter, and this is the most dysfunctional season in team history. You, you don't just keep pieces in place for what? What 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 are you doing here? If that's the case, you know, I I I, I, I kind of believe that, but I do also think it's that's it, it, that's interesting to me because if Vance is acting like he's got the job or has a very good. Uh, chance of getting the job that's probably been communicated to him in some way or another, and that would tell you again that we're we're not running the op- this organization the way it needs to be run. Well, maybe we can get back to this when we do, you know further this discussion later on in the show. But if that is indeed true, and he's got reason to feel that confident, and, and Michael Bidwell's like, "This is our guy." What are they waiting for? To give up the illusion of of we went through and we cast the net wide far and far. wide, yeah, to, yeah, to, you're to, probably to make right. it clear that there was a fishing expedition. <laughs> hey, we're all the fish on the boat. Oh, we don't know, man, but we cast that net far and wide. Fish weren't biting. It's like that. Uh, what the, are you gonna do? The first we time, got a in, license plate. We got a tire. Net. It's the, broken. The first time yeah. in Forrest Gump when he emptied the net, and yeah. they were like, There's, "One yeah. shrimp, a yeah, couple more. You could have yourself a cocktail." Yeah. There's a Mississippi license plate. Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. There's a boot. <laughs> text your thoughts to the FanDuel text line at six twenty six twenty right now. Coming up next, it's been a while since the home folks were treated to a win, but they got one at Footprint Center last night. We'll get into the Suns' win over the Nets straight ahead on this Friday. It's Bickley and Murata mornings here on Arizona Sports the local sports leader. We did enough to get a win. And um, on the road lately, in those moments, we've kind of run into a a bit of a wall uh, from a spirit standpoint and emotional standpoint. And tonight I thought we just held the line as best as we can. I thought across the board we we had so many contributions. Uh, DA was was big in the paint tonight with 14 rebounds. And Mikel's just finding different ways to grow his game. Monty Williams, part of his post-game comments last night. Suns get a win. A needed win over the Brooklyn Nets, 117-112 at Footprint Center. Mm. Uh, And we could start with uh, the return of Cam Johnson last night. Came back, did not start, came in, immediately hit a three-pointer. And I don't know if they win that game without Cam Johnson, quite honestly, Bick. There was one guy in a Phoenix Suns uniform who stepped to the free throw line at any point in last night's game and didn't miss at least one. And that was Cam Mm -hmm. Johnson who went nine for nine. The Suns missed 13 free throws. So they were culpable in making things a lot more difficult than it had to be for them. 
But again, without Cam Johnson, I'm not sure they were able to ice that one. Uh, and and no. maybe the Nets were able to well, steal it. Yeah, no, listen, I, I do think that he was central to the victory. I think that um, his arrival in the game uh, was very, very well received. You know you were there. Mm-hmm. Uh, he got a standing ovation. He contributed immediately. He scored 10 points in his first five minutes. It was like he never left. Uh, I liked his demeanor. I love what he brought out of Mikhail Bridges and DeAndre Ayton. Mm-hmm. But again, it's just one game. I, there, there is, I, I have seen... And I want to believe more than anybody. Believe me, the last thing, the last thing I need, last thing anybody needs, is a basketball team that has sunk back to being outside the playoff periphery. Um, so we're all we're all cheering for the same thing here. But but to just make these wild proclamations that oh, see, this is how Cam Johnson unlocks Mikael Bridges and DeAndre Ayton. Look, it, the new owner was in the building last night. Don't forget that. There was a lot of motivation to make a good first impression oh, yeah. for the Phoenix Suns. Absolutely. So, and again, and I, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'll be honest, I'm very down on DA right now. Last night was a good step forward for him, but but he has got to stack some of these performances before I give him anything close to props. Can I give you my thoughts on DA? Sure. Because we we have these game to game discussions on DA. Hey, that was a great game from DA. Hey, he took a step. I think we saw both versions in one game last night. We did. He was phenomenal in the first half of that game. Mm -hmm. At one point of the game, and this was partly due to DA's effort, partly due to the lack of effort Brooklyn was putting out there, but it was in the second half, and DeAndre Ayton had one less rebound than the entire Nets team. Yep. Then Brooklyn switches up the defense, and the Suns made it a point, hey, we're going to feed our guy in the paint. And D.A. missed six shots, and it wasn't just about missing the shots, because he was getting them. And if mm-hmm. he's got open shots, you want him to take them. But yeah. it was, again, some you know there was one particular play where he ended up getting to the foul line, but he was all alone underneath, and Claxton came, came by and fouled him. But it was almost like D.A. was moving in slow motion, getting to the rim. Yeah. And he got to the free throw line, and he was one of the guys that struggled from the line. He went two for six from the stripe last night. I think we saw good D.A. and bad D.A. last I night. Totally to his, to his credit, when the game got tight, he made his last two shots, and they were both biggies and holding and off that comeback. Steal. And yeah. he made a key yeah. steal in a stretch where the Suns right. made three consecutive steals. But, yeah, it... it yeah. <laughs> We just want to. I just want to see, and I know I'm speaking for you when I say this too. Just a consistency throughout the ball game, yeah, especially and, when you don't have Devin Booker. And, and what I would like to see as well, I would like to see, and this is kind of why DeAndre Ayton, the monster game. I mean, the truly monster games that he has posted in his career, probably five, six of them in his career. Maybe not play a play. I'm talking regular season monster games, the thirty and twenty, the those kind of things. It, it, last night could have been one of those monster games for him. We've seen a lot of first halves where he plays really well and then he just kind of backs off a little bit and that's why those monster games are not there like they are for a lot of other elite players who put together five monster games in a month when they start rolling. Yeah. Um, so again, I, I don't want to hate too much on him now because I do think he was very good in the first half and I think he was aggressive. The one thing that DA does do well that, that the return of Cam Johnson brings out of him that I noticed last night, DA, whether you hate it or, or not, he, he likes to throw the ball back out of the post. He's good at it. So if you've got a guy that spaces the floor like Cam Johnson does, then then you're basically you're plugging in that aspect of DA's game that's actually good. Getting the ball inside and getting the ball to the open guy in the perimeter. He's good at that. Yes. Did that a couple times last night. He and and and, and he gets fairly creative in his passes. 
You know, yeah. He he. One time, you know, he was he threw one kind of around a guy past the baseline back to a guy who was wide open on the perimeter. Mm-hmm. Another time, he threw kind of like a little pass. It was almost like a bowling motion to a guy on the perimeter. He's a pretty good passer. You're right. Yeah. So so he so he did that. And so, but I just, what I think the most important thing to take away out of last night was just the feeling, the vibe, the vibe to win a game again, to have Cam Johnson back. Yes. You know what I mean? Well, just to, just to feel that feel again. And for me, too, you got to consider the opposition. If you go back to the last road trip, the Suns went on the road, and, you know, Steph Curry's coming back for Golden State, and everybody's bracing themselves for a, a blowout loss. And the Suns played well, but. There was a lot of responsibility on Golden State not doing their jobs in that game. They went through the motions. And I think for three quarters last night, the Suns took advantage of a team. And they apparently were getting called out. You, you watched the broadcast on TNT. The lack of effort was getting called out by the on the part of the Brooklyn Nets. And Kyrie Irving was at the heart of it. Ben Simmons was at the heart of it. Ben Simmons had a frustrating night and got himself ejected after picking up his, his fifth foul of the game. But Kyrie Irving, I think, took three quarters off and then oh, decided yeah. that, yeah. hey, let's let's start playing. And, and that, to me, is something, if, if your opponent is not going to take a, a, you know, a full run at a win for 48 minutes, especially when you're a struggling team like the Suns are, you have to cash those in. They did it in Golden State. They did it last night. Yeah, they did. And those are two wins that could mean a lot in a very bunched-up Western Conference down I, the stretch. I was also just uh, watching watching Ben Simmons last night. There were a few flashes in that game when he just put his head down and drove to the rim with anger and speed and power, and you're like... That guy, there's such a good basketball player in that guy that has been dying and withering. Yes, but also you see there was one possession where they, the Nets had great ball movement, and he's alone for a 13-foot jump <laughs> yeah, shot right. and didn't look at the no, rim and passed no, out of it, and it was just, an empty possession. He gets the ball in mid-range territory, and he's looking to hand the ball to somebody and set a pick. And it's like, yeah. wow. Last point I want to make on the uh, Nets, especially Kyrie Irving. You recommended earlier this week a television show for me to watch. The tennis show, what's it called? Match Point? Yeah, Breakpoint. Break, Breakpoint. Mm-hmm. And I watched the first episode, and the first episode is about Nick Kyrgios, who pretty much everybody in tennis will agree, this is the most talented guy on tour, but a guy who doesn't bring it all the time, and mm-hmm. it frustrates a lot of people. Yeah. Kyrie Irving is the Nick Kyrgios of basketball. Oh, how about Because it? when he turned it on last night, it was breathtaking. Yeah, he's insane. His handle, his shooting it, it, ability. It, it, it's not even close. I mean, yeah. everybody else is, is competing for second place on that. The right? handle yeah. and, and just the skill level. Oh, my. Yes. But, you know, if he brings it a little bit earlier, the Nets probably win that game. Yeah, we'll have more on the Suns yeah, win. That, uh, they yeah. needed one. Yeah, and they got it. They got so, one, yes. and it's win number 22 for the Suns with the Pacers coming into town tomorrow night. Coming up next, we'll hit some NFL hash marks and the latest on some quarterback situations around the league, including one that's getting dramatic in Baltimore. It's Bickley and Murata mornings on this Friday here on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Football Friday with Bickley and Murata. Presented by 72 Soul. Arizona Sports. The local sports leader. Bickley and Murata. Hash marks. 100%, you know, 200%. There's no question about it. Uh, Lamar, Lamar Jackson is our quarterback. I mean, he's been our quarterback. Everything we've done in terms of building our offense and building our team, uh, how we think in terms of put people and put people around them, 
is based on this incredible young man and his talent, his ability, and his competitiveness. You know, he, he and I were talking today too, and, and the things about Lamar that to me stands out. He's an incredible competitor. I mean, Lamar Jackson, all he wants to do is win at everything he does. You know, yeah, he's got a lot of talent. He's a very bright guy. He's got a big heart, but he's just a massive competitor. And that's the kind of guys we want to build this team around, guys that love football and guys that love to compete. So uh, that's not hasn't changed. It'll never change. We, you know, we, we, I've, I've loved Lamar. Eric loves Lamar. And uh, it's not going to change in the future. That is John Harbaugh, the head coach of the uh, Baltimore Ravens. Not 100% sure that Lamar Jackson is their quarterback moving forward, but 200%. (laughs) Well, Uh, this outward uh, outpouring of love for Lamar Jackson in the the wake of their season ending and uh, Greg Roman, the offensive coordinator, being shown the door. Pretty interesting timing on all of this, isn't it? After this back and forth that amounted to nothing in terms of a new contract for Lamar Jackson. Well, without a doubt, you've got to ask, yourself what exactly is going on here um, in Baltimore. Is the firing of Greg Roman being done to appease Lamar Jackson? Are the Ravens now talking super nice to Lamar Jackson uh, to, to make sure that, that he hasn't played his final game in Baltimore? There are a lot of people who think that horse has left the barn. There are a lot of people who think Lamar Jackson is out of there. And if that's the case, Greg Roman is the guy. The, with the Baltimore the Baltimore Ravens and the story with Lamar Jackson is, is very interesting, and I think it's semi-unique to the culture they have in Baltimore. They made a very conscientious decision that we've got a dual-threat quarterback, and instead of using that as a wrinkle in an offense, that is going to be our offense. And uh-huh. they designed the whole thing around it, yes, and they Greg did. Roman was the guy that did it. And so the fact that they're cutting ties with him now it's either to appease Lamar Jackson, who wants a different approach, or it's to bring in a different guy who's going to have to lead the Ravens into a new era of football. I think it's a fascinating dilemma that they're in because you're exactly right. Lamar ja- And you saw what happened when Lamar Jackson's not in there. Tyler Huntley's yeah. a decent backup quarterback, but mm-hmm. he's not Lamar Jackson, but he's running that same offense is the new offensive coordinator, which John Harbaugh said, by the way, uh, Lamar Jackson's going to have input on whoever the new OC is. Greg's a great coach, and he did the best he could every single week, every single day. Great family. Uh, uh, you know, another great competitor. So, you know, I, I, you know, I leave, I leave, we leave that era, kind of. You know, we move into the next era now in terms of our offense. And, uh, and I, did, I did ask Lamar about it, you know, and, and he will be involved in it. You know, I'll keep him abreast of what's going on, and I'm sure he'll have some input along the way. Uh, but I know his focus, like he told me, is going to be on getting himself ready and getting his guys ready, you know, for next season. Yeah, the person's going to change at the, at the uh, controls of that offense in, yeah. in terms of designing it and play calling and all that good stuff. But does the philosophy change? Because if an OC is going to come in there uh, and try to make the Baltimore Ravens a more modern day passing offense with Lamar Jackson and not tap into those skills he has as a runner, I think it's a mistake. Yeah. Well, listen, no, I agree with that. So so you wonder exactly where Baltimore is going to go with this because clearly, I, I mean, they offered him a lot of money, but, mm-hmm. the, but the guarantee wasn't all that good. It was about a 50% guarantee on a $250 million offer, and he said no. And, and so the Ravens are not without protections right now. They can, they can transition. I, I don't know what the tag is, but basically they have the right to tag 
him in a way in which they can match any offer sheet he gets from someplace else. But but I think that the Ravens and Lamar Jackson are at a point now where I'm not sure I'm not sure the Ravens would do that to him, and I don't think Lamar Jackson Lamar Jackson's going to do what uh, it will stand on principle. I think he's made that very clear. He's done that throughout yes. this process, and yeah. they've got until March to come up with a contract extension. If mm-hmm. not, they'll slap him with that franchise tag, and you know he'll get the average of the top five salaries, which is nothing to sneeze at, but it's not that long-term commitment, and certainly the sticking point in these negotiations has been the amount of guaranteed money. Yeah, and I but, heard, but Lamar Jackson might just say, I am not reporting to camp for you. Yeah, uh, but uh, I, I was listening to uh, on, you know, early this morning, I was listening to uh, Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max, and Max Kellerman was talking about it too, and everybody's pointing at the Deshaun Watson contract. That was a sticking point for this crop, the, you know, the Kyler Murray, Deshaun Watson thing, the Russell Wilson thing. This is a new class of quarterback that's coming through, and you've got Joe Burrow eligible for an extension. You've got Justin Herbert eligible for an extension. Those guys are going to get paid oh, yeah, big time, and I think it wipes away what the what the Cleveland Browns did with Deshaun Watson. I'm 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 fascinated by this whole thing because on the flip side of it too, what, one of the thoughts I've got rattling through my head is something years ago that that Rudy Carpenter said on this radio station and on this show about teams teams getting smart with the quarterback position not overpaying mm-hmm. it's very possible the Baltimore Ravens have already squeezed everything out of Lamar Jackson that he has to offer as a quarterback you going to lock that up long term with his style of play? After what we saw with Russell Wilson yeah. and what we saw with some of the buyers' you don't, uh, remorse. You don't think Cleveland is quietly saying, we gave Deshaun Watson what? I, I, I don't know if they're saying that yet. I, I do think that they believe that he is going to lead them to, to really good places. I, th- I think that will come after next year if, they, if that doesn't happen. But I do think that you're right. I do think that these are the questions that are being asked right now. And, yeah, so I don't know where the Ravens are going with this. I really yeah. don't. They, you can look at it one of two ways. To, to hear John Harbaugh talk about Lamar Jackson and the way he just did, it sounds a lot different than when he was talking about Lamar Jackson the last few weeks. Mm-hmm. When he was addressing, will he play? And it was sort of a very terse, um, you could tell it was a sore subject. Yeah, yeah. He, he almost like he was bothered by the questioning, yeah. and now it was just a love fest for Lamar yesterday yes. from he and Eric yes. DaCosta, the GM. A right. uh-huh. couple of other quick notes on quarterbacks. Uh, Tom Brady, his future up in the air, 45. Massive changes in the coaching staff in Tampa Bay. Julian Edelman, who knows Tom Brady very well, said uh, this. If he has another season, it's not going to be in Tampa Bay. Right. And, and it's just because... Tom's a businessman. Tom's a smart guy. He's going to do exactly what he did when he left New England. He's going to go to the best situation that helps him win if he wants to continue his playing career. I don't know. Considering what he went through on a personal standpoint this year, the answer's got to be he wants to keep playing, right? Oh, yeah. He could have walked away. Oh, he yeah. did walk away for 30 days. Yeah. So if Edelman's right, he's going somewhere else. I still think Vegas is a fit there. Vegas might be a fit. I People keep talking about the 49ers, and I just don't see that happening. I don't see it either. Uh, and then Aaron Rodgers, his future after uh, you know his comments on the Pat McAfee show, I could win an MVP maybe in Green Bay, maybe somewhere else. People are wondering what Aaron Rodgers is going to do. Uh, did you see what Joe Namath said? Joe Namath would give the New York Jets permission to take his retired number 12 out of the mothballs to give to Aaron Rodgers. Wow. (laughs) That's awfully nice of Joe. It is. 
Joe still loves him, the New York Jets. There's no doubt that's, about yeah, it. Now, that's a team guy, right? That, yeah. That's a team guy right there. But, man, do I hate it when organizations do that. The team's struggling. <laughs> I want to kiss you. <laughs> struggling. <laughs> Joe Namath is one of the biggest stars ever in the NFL, and that, I, that's exactly what I think of every time I hear the name Joe, Joe Namath. Well, I want to kiss you. <laughs> it, see, the, the gesture is very magnanimous and kind and giving. Aaron Rodgers would be the total jerk ass if he accepted it. <laughs> if he said, thank you, Joe, I'm wearing it. We've seen people do it before. That's, that's brutal. I, it, if, it, if you're Aaron Rodgers, you go, no, man, you're Hollywood, bro. I'm You're Broadway, Joe. I'm not touching that. That's why I'm against uh, number retirements now. Every team should just have a ring of honor. Every number is up for grabs. And I know there's people with retired numbers probably thinking, no, I earned that number of retirement. Nobody's going to wear that after me. But if you're going to take it down from the rafters, what what are you doing? Well, it seems like every ring of honor is up for grabs, too, Vinny. Mm. I mean, B.A. is in Tampa's ring of honor, not uh, not Arizona's. And I guess that makes sense because he won a Super Bowl there. But his body of success was much better here. Yeah. What he much, created much was longer. much more organic here. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Uh, Super Bowl uh, All Access is coming. The countdown to Super Bowl 57 has begun. Bud Light Fan Duel and Arizona Sports want you to be there in person. Text SUPER to 620-620. Get registered and then listen for your name starting February 6th. You could score a pair of tickets to the Super Bowl, plus tickets to the Fan Duel Party, the Bud Light Music Fest, and the Super Bowl Experience. Again, text SUPER, S-U-P-E-R, to 620-620. It's All Access presented by Bud Light and Fan Duel. Coming up next, Sun's got a much-needed win over the Brooklyn Nets. I'll give you my view of it next. It's Bickley and Murata Mornings here on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader.